Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look today at, um, with the time that we have left, we are going to look today at a, um, an apostolic prayer of the Apostle Paul. We're going to look at the next, uh, potentially, we're going to look at several of these. Um, I feel led to take the next month to spend time to prepare myself personally and study and prayer. Um, there's something that's on my heart that I want to deliver and release through a series this coming August, so I feel like um, to take this next month to prepare for that, um, for a direction I feel like we're supposed to go. But in the meantime, you know, there's just so much. It's one of the most difficult things is trying to figure out, amidst everything that God is saying, what to, to share on Sundays. And, uh, and so, anyways, you know, there's just so much to talk about, but I want us just to land this morning on um, a key apostolic prayer of the Apostle Paul. All throughout the God's Word, there are, um, and I'm going to get a list and have it printed out for you guys, but just prayers all throughout God's Word that we can use as a guide for intercession and prayer for our families, communities, churches, nation, and one of our core values uh, at Ahava is intercessory prayer. Um, if you've been to the DNA class, uh, this is something that we want to share and impart. And also the core values and who we are and the mission is something that we want to put before you continually and, and do a better job at that. Uh, but intercessory prayer is a huge element to who we are um, in our heart. I believe it should be an element and a key DNA of every single church and community. Jesus in Isaiah, or Isaiah prophesies that his house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Um, we've looked at this before, but when Jesus came into Jerusalem and he cleansed, he, was, he had a whip and he drove out money changers and he said, my house has become a den of, of thieves. It's become a marketplace. And he, he turned the tables over, and he cracked the whip, and one of the first things that he reinstituted and he proclaimed as he cleansed his house is he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, and you've made it a den for thieves. And he restored immediately the, the church to its, back to its roots in that it's meant to be a place that is given itself on behalf of intercession for nations for cities and so um, we're, we're coming back to our roots in learning how to pray we're coming back to the DNA of the early church they were a people given to prayer given to fasting intercessory prayer is something that we want to we want to teach we want to impart and we want to continually uh, we, we give our we give ourselves to this and this is our core value Intercession is it's part of God's strategy to build his kingdom on the earth. We are, we are a house of prayer for all nations. We bind the works of the enemy and we loose the solutions of God's kingdom in Jesus' name. And we pray from God's word with the help of the Holy Spirit. So Romans 8, it tells us that we don't know how to pray as we ought. But, this, but we are helped with the Holy Spirit with groanings beyond words. And so there's times when the English language or whatever language 
is your first language. There's times that we run out of things to say. Um, and, and Paul tells us we don't know how to pray as we ought to pray. But there's a, the spirit, the seal of the Father, the spirit of truth is in us. And it gives us a groaning and a longing inside of us beyond words that we could ever use to describe. There's, there's a longing and a groaning for heaven to come and for his kingdom reality to be manifest on the earth that supersedes natural language. It is something that possesses, it's something inside of us that possesses us and we have to connect our spirit with that spirit to release a groan and a sound. So sometimes there are no words. There's no words for us. There's simply a groan. God, we need you. We want you. We need your kingdom. And something... Um, there's a powerful groan that takes place in us. And it's called travail. It's a spirit of travail. We need the church to come back to a place of travail. We need to come back to a place where we're on our knees crying. We're on our knees groaning again until his kingdom comes, until his, manifest, his, his presence is manifest among us. There's a travail that overtakes us for our children, for the generations, for our nation. Um, so we don't know how to pray as we ought, but we find help by praying from God's word as a launching pad and by praying with the Holy Spirit. So if we combine the, the word of God with the spirit of God, there's explosive results that take place. We practice this at our intercessory prayer meetings is we practice to worship. We practice praying the spirit that helps us to move in one accord. It helps us to sink into the Lord's heart. Out of that place of worship, we address God and his greatness, his beauty. We simply admonish him and praise him and thank him for who he is, our Father who art in heaven. It's contrasting the location of his being with the smallness of our problems in our lives and our world. We're saying, God, you're huge. You are glorious and beautiful. And then out of that place, we're then interceding for nations. We're interceding because we can see just how big he is. Magnify the name of the Lord with me. Magnify him. Make him big. Make him the biggest thing in the room. And as we do that, that is the appropriate place from then to begin to address the things on his heart and to pray from that place of victory, of majesty. But also we pray from his word. And as we do that, it helps to guide us because it shows us the things on his heart. It shows us the things that burn on the Father on the Father's heart, and we're actually coming into a place of partnership. Lord, give us your heart. We want to be co-laborers, and we want to, with you, co-labor and birth your purposes in the earth. And so, sometimes we just pray until he tells us what to pray. We just begin to speak. We just begin to worship, and then he begins to guide. So there are apostolic prayers uh, all throughout. There, there are prayers all throughout God's Word. These are These are um, what you can call apostolic prayers. We understand that because Jesus prayed them as our chief apostle. And also because they are inspired by the Holy Spirit given to the apostles and they are for the church and for the advancing of the kingdom upon the earth. So a couple notes before we get into Ephesians um, is that ap apostolic prayers in God's word, they are a gift to the church. Again, they are prayers that they burn, these are the things that burn on God's heart. And as we pray God's word, we're speaking, uh, we're, he's, his word is helping to give us language for the things 
uh, that he wants us to speak into the atmosphere. It's helping us to give us a language of his heart. Okay, in addition, when we pray from God's word, it's, it's like having a signed check, something that's already established in heaven, guaranteed, and it's only waiting for our yes and amen. So when we're praying God's word, we're praying directly what we know. This is your heart. This is your will. And so we're hitting the mark. Right? Okay, so in these prayers, the prayers of uh, these apostolic prayers and prophetic promises, what we see in God's word is that they are God-centered prayers. They're not devil-centered prayers. Not a single one of the apostolic prayers is addressed to the enemy, is addressed to Satan. You'll notice that. These prayers are addressed to the Father, right? And so it shows us the position of intercession that we're moving from in that we are focusing on His majesty and beauty and overflowing in worship from a heart of, of, a heart of David, a heart of worship, a heart of thanksgiving and ministry to the Lord. And that is the New Testament. That's the model for spiritual warfare, resisting and dislodging demonic forces and cultural strongholds is that we're magnifying the Lord, our Father who art in heaven. And this is how the Apostle Paul prayed. Father of glory. So all the prayers of Jesus, all of them were directed to the Father. Okay, and so Jesus, he taught us to address the Father. And when we look at Ephesians, Ephesians is one of the most incredible uh, books in the Bible, and it's a warfare epistle because it reveals the glorious church. It reveals who we are in Christ. It reveals the treasures, the riches of his glory, of the, his inheritance in the saints. It's revealing a glorious church in Ephesians. And it's a, it's a warfare epistle. Ephesians teaches us how to sit in Christ, who we are in Christ. It teaches us how to, how to walk in Christ, walking in a manner worthy of the calling. And it teaches us how to stand against the enemy, how to put on the full armor of God. Um, but we, we see in all the prayers in the book of Ephesians are prayers that, that guide us to direct a, a intercession to the Father. Number four is that apostolic, these apostolic prayers, the prayers of the word, they're focused on the impartation or the loosing of the solution rather than the problem. Is, is, and that, that's what we see as we look into God's word, is rather than merely focusing on the removal of something, it's focused on the solution and the loosing of something. We see an example of that in Philippians 1.9. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in the depth of insight. So notice here that Paul is he's praying that your love would abound. His focus is on the release and the loose and the expansion of love, revelation, and insight rather than the removal of hatred or the removal of a lack of love. The focus is on the loosing of love. It's the focus on the solution, right? Romans 15, verse 5, Paul prayed, he, he prayed for the impartation of unity rather than merely praying against division. He said, may the God that gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward one another that Jesus Christ had. 
So notice he's focused on loosing heaven's solution. Paul in Romans 15, 13, he asked for peace to increase. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So um, he's asking for an increase of peace. And the focus here is on what is the Father doing? What is the Father imparting? What is heaven saying? What is the solution that God wants to loose in place? And so it can be said that these prayers are primarily their positive prayers, right? Rather than the focus on the negative. Does that make sense? Okay, next, the next point on this is that um, while Timothy, again, and this is, I'm reiterating the same point, but while while Tim, uh, First Timothy, it's, it, it's exhorting us to intercede firstly for those that are in authority. What we see is the vast sum of uh, this prayers in God's word are focused largely on the church. They're focused on the growth of the church, the strengthening of the church, and the maturing of the church. And that's because God's plan, is, his primary plan to reach the lost to touch the world, to change culture and society is by anointing and strengthening and maturing the bride with power and love. And the reason that is is because it sets the right foundation. Is that when we intercede and we see through the Word, apostolic prayers and prophetic promises are generally, primarily focused on the strengthening of God's people. Is that because when the church walks in her true identity, the world is changed as a result. When the bride of Christ arises, we see that the nations come to the brightness of the glory that comes upon the church. So a foundation is laid for unbelievers to come to Jesus. And so we're, we're praying, Lord, touch your people, anoint them, give them the spirit of truth, wisdom, knowledge, discernment. Because we believe that when God moves upon his people, that there's going to be an overflow and effect on the world around us. Amen? So we see, um, okay, so we're going to read. Let's look in Ephesians chapter 1. And we're not going to, um, we're just going to look at a couple verses, but I'm going to read, I'll just read up to it. Actually, because of a lack of time, I'm just going to jump right into this in verse. Let's just look right here. Verse 15 of Ephesians 1. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Ephesians 1 uh, verse 17. 
The summation of Paul's apostolic prayer here is that the Father would give his people increased understanding by means of revelatory, intimate knowledge that would cause them to experience glory in, in these three expressions. The hope of his calling, the glory of being God's inheritance, walking in the great, the exceedingly, exceeding greatness of his power. We're going to back up and, and uh, look at verse 3. Because here, Paul outlines aspects of God's glory referred to here as spiritual blessings. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Okay, there's just so much in here. We could spend the next really the rest of our lives in this chapter. <laughs> I can't, you can't, just can't quantify it, um, just how deep this goes. But, <laughs> um, but this is one of the most, in, in Ephesians 1, it's one of the most comprehensive statements in the Bible describing how God lavishes his grace, his majesty, his glory upon his people. The Father chose his people to enjoy this exalted position of being his adopted sons and daughters, his children. He appeals in his prayer to God as the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. This title in this apostolic prayer, um, verse 17, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. This title is a foundation of understanding of the gospel. What God did with Jesus in his humanity is the picture of what the Father is committed to do with his redeemed people. God being the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, it provides, it provides, it, it provides through Jesus that he too can be our God through the Lord Jesus Christ. It provides that God himself, he is the, a redeeming, a redeemer providing God. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's revealed through Christ and through him, God can become our God. God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. What we see in verses 3 to 14 is that the reality that's being set forth in this letter in every instance is compounding immersive glory that God has called us to in Christ. This entire letter is bright, shining a bright shining forth of the glory of God through his acts of redemption before the foundation of the world and the spiritual blessings that would follow. To the praise, and we see this in verse um, th 3 to 8, and I'm going to finish here in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace, which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, 
according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So, to the praise of his glorious grace. To the praise of his glory. Paul begins this prayer by invoking the Father of glory to open up our eyes that we might experientially perceive this glory that we're called to in Christ. The glory that the Father possesses is the very glory that he imparts to us in salvation. And it's the essence of his prayer for the church. It's, it is that the spirit of wisdom, the very mind of Christ, the thoughts and intents of God, and the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of God would come upon us. It's a supernatural perceiving and knowing that we would know God and encounter Him by receiving more of this, an increase and in expansion of wisdom, revelation, more of of uh, this spirit in us and through us that the eyes, the very eyes of our understanding would progressively, increasingly be enlightened by the Holy Spirit. God's first, first intention um, by means of wisdom and revelation is to lead us into the knowledge, the very knowledge of God. This Greek word for knowledge here, it refers to an intimate heart level experience and it goes beyond intellect or information. It's a knowledge that we're tasting. It's a knowledge that we're seeing. It's a knowledge that we are uh, receiving uh, through an encounter by a supernatural means. In fact, this, this knowing, this word, know, this word knowledge and to know is such a deep term, it's used in instances between the knowing of a husband and a wife. That's the kind of knowledge that we're called to in Christ. Um, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12, Now we have received the Spirit that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. The natural man or the unaided mind does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. Our minds, without the Holy Spirit and the spirit of wisdom and revelation, it cannot understand spiritual truth. We need a living understanding. We need a supernatural understanding that only comes from Him. Our natural mind has no spiritual sight. The Bible is, is, not, uh, is more than intellectual ideas or information. It is an unveiling of spiritual realities and dimensions that we're meant to explore in God, even as the Spirit of God searches and minds the deep things of the Father to make them known to us. That is the spirit of revelation. And Jesus described that when he said, I no longer call you slaves, but friends. He was inviting them into this revelation that everything that the Father has shown me, I will reveal to you. And this is eternal life. This knowledge is eternal life. It's a well that begins within us that overflows into everlasting life. In John 17, 3, Jesus, um, this is what said in John 17, 3, in the high priestly prayer, this is eternal life that they may know you. 
This knowing Jesus described as life itself, everlasting life that wells up within us unto eternity. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you might know experientially what is the hope of his calling. Paul's first request is that through this increasing spiritual knowledge and understanding that you would have an an assurance and a hope of the call of God in your life, a confidence, a clarity that is related both to your eternal divine purpose in this life and in the age to come. His calling upon your life is to be a part of his spiritual eternal family. We see that in Ephesians. Uh, again, you just read through this whole chapter preceding. His call is to be a part of his eternal family. It also includes the divine assignment that's on your life. And that includes this life in the, in, and in the age to come. We need, what we need is we want to see our calling from the presence of the Father. We want to see through his eyes to see the hope of what he's called us to. It's a perception of divine calling, and it only comes by supernatural revelatory means, by his spirit and by his word. So God has a unique calling, a unique assignment, purpose upon every person in this room. This is the apostolic prayer. Lord, Father of glory, open their eyes to see with understanding the thing, the hope of what you've called them to. Uh, Colossians 1.9 For this reason, since the day, and this is Paul, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So that, number one, you might live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Number two, so that you may have great endurance and patience. And number three, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God who is faithful, uh, God is faithful who has called you into the fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. 1 Peter 2.9 You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you might declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 1 Peter 5.10 And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Second Peter 1.3, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of him who called us 
by his own glory and goodness. This is what we've been called to. The fellowship of his son, eternal life, into the kingdom and glory, into marvelous light, into eternal glory in Christ, into glory and excellence. So in this prayer, Paul, with all of this in mind, he addresses, it's appropriate that he addresses Father of glory. That the Father of glory may may accomplish this, giving us insight into the depth of that calling. That you and I, why, why does Paul pray this? Well, if you and I, if we even begin to see the hope of the calling, the reaches, the depths, the height, the width of his love, the inheritance, his exceeding power, if we only even begin to see that with clarity, the glory that we're intended to live in with God forever, if we see it, we might just make it. We might just make it in the middle. Because if it be necessary, after you have suffered for a little while, God himself will restore it and establish you. That's why we need to see with supernatural insight. Because everything around us is pulling, pulling our, on the affection of our hearts, the attention. And so with an apostolic heart and the heart of a father, spiritual father, Paul's saying, Lord, by supernatural means, give them a knowledge they can experience to know the hope of Christ that they've been called to, the glory of the inheritance of the saints. Jesus said in Luke 19, 17, you were faithful in very little and you will have authority over 10 cities. In Matthew 25, 21, you were faithful over a few things, I will make you a ruler over many things. What you might describe as being over very little, that will grant you a great authority, not only in this life, but in the age to come. Do you know in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul makes the appeal, don't you know that we will rule angels? Don't you know that we will judge angels? God has great plans, glorious plans that are far outreaching even this life. And the little, the very little, the faithfulness, even in the very little, Jesus says, I'll give you authority, great authority. Part of the hope of the calling is to see the very little that God the very little in the eyes of the Father, to see that which we see as mundane, to see that which God has entrusted to us, though it may seem small, to see that as great in his eyes. That's the hope of the calling, and that we can be faithful in that, and that he wants to entrust us with great authority as we are faithful in the little things. Amen? So this, um, I'm going to close here, but we've still got more to cover. But in the impact and the measure of this glory that the Spirit is going to release upon us, it will continue to increase in in this life, but all throughout eternity. The knowledge of the hope of his calling is something that it will take all of time to, to, to grasp and to mine the depths and to scale the peaks of that reality. It's an assurance, it's a clarity. God, show me the hope of your calling that would spill into the age and life to come. Amen? All right, so I want to go through this whole prayer, but um, we're going to close, and we're just going to keep it short and sweet because 
John Maxwell, uh, Mercy said this, is that you only remember 30% of what someone shares anyway. So, <laughs> so I'm going to stop there, otherwise you'll forget. But also we have a podcast to help with that. So, all right, so <laughs> let's stand up. Um, <laughs> because sometimes, which is a good problem, but it's just packed in there and you just can't even get up out of your seat. <clears throat> yeah. We have great, a great need for endurance. Man, I've been feeling that. It's going to get, it, it's been a little rocky here. <laughs> right? But Lord, would you enlighten the eyes of our heart? Give us spiritual understanding. Lord, I just pray, Father of glory, I thank you. Uh, for, the, for the depth and the potency uh, that you're establishing that through suffering in, in Romans 5 that we're justified through faith in Christ. Okay, I just want to read this. Having been justified by faith, we have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but also we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. That hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Lord, you are producing in us an enduring spirit. And that enduring spirit is producing a character that is proving the hope to which we've been called. And that hope is, does not disappoint. We know this is true because the Holy Spirit has already been poured out. The love of God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit has already become our seal. And so we know the tangible evidence hope does not disappoint. And so we glory in suffering in tribulation because of the seal and the promise of the Father which has been given to us. And so, Lord, I ask you this morning that you would strengthen with might our spirit in the inner man. And I pray that the eyes of our understanding would be opened this morning by the spirit of wisdom and revelation on your people to know what is the hope of his calling, that you would grant assurance and clarity of God's call in our life. What are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness, the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? That same power in verse 20 says is the power that raised Christ from the dead. In other words, when it talks about the creation of the world, the world in Romans, it says by his eternal power, his invisible attributes are clearly seen as he gave, he created the world. But when it talks about the new creation, it's not his eternal power, it's the exceeding greatness of his power that raised Christ from the dead that is now at work 
in and through us. In other words, what it took, it took an exceeding greatness of his power to raise Christ, to make us into a new man through Christ than it took to form, to form and create the world. There's a greater power at work in the new creation than there was in the old man, Adam. It's, the ex it's an exceeding greatness of his power to them that believe according to the working of that mighty power. So Lord, we can't even understand this without the Holy Spirit. So I pray, give us a wisdom and a revelation to perceive in the name of Jesus. Breathe upon your people. Spirit fire, fan the flame. And I just speak over you, uh, Kairos, acceleration to the destiny, to the purpose. And I speak clarity. And I say that God is not a God of confusion. I cast out spirit of unbelief. And I ask the Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Remove those things that are unbelieving in us. We ask that you would cast out the spirit of unbelief. And we ask that you would give us vision this morning to see to see you rightly. That's our prayer, Lord. We, want to, we just want to know you and see you for who you really are. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father. Bless your people. Fill them. Strengthen them. And I thank you for the places together with all the saints that we might know the width and the depth and the height of the love of God. I thank you that it is together as one that we move in Jesus' name.